Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy and welcome Fails. Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One. Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916 to the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails, Remastered. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for the second part of this interview with Vincent W. Rospond from wingtosarpublishing.com, the guy who's responsible for the fact that I talk to you about my book. It's all his fault, he's the one you can blame, and hey, it's time to pick more of his brains. This is part two of a interview, and if you have not listened to the first part, go ahead and do that first, but if you're the kind of person who likes to just jump right in there, then, well, I guess, stay tuned for a few more seconds. Thanks again to Vincent, and thanks to you guys for stopping by. Enjoy the interview. Let me know what you thought. I'd like to ask you some stories of, like, say, your experiences in publishing. I mean, you've been at it a while, and then before you even had Winged Asar, you had experience in other places. Have you ever... I mean, I don't want to dish any dirt on people, but because you have so many responsibilities and you deal with people who are essentially entrusting you with their work or their babies or their children, if you like, there is bound to be a time when egos collide. Have you experienced any kind of difficult conversations or anything like that? You know from our dealings that my way of editing is uh, I go through a, a person's work, uh, I make suggestions. Sure. for changes that I think will help the book. In certain cases, we, you know, uh, I may say, well, we have to do it like this because you do spell uh, Xerxes with an X and you can't do a Z. But <laughs> I try to work with an author, a writer, to make it better. But, they, you know, we try to use what they've done. However, you do come across times where people just are adamant their work is too precious. Uh, <laughs> one, 
one of the things, one of the other things I do besides Wing to Sar is I'm a volunteer editor for a historical journal called the Journal of America's Military Past, which comes out three times a year. It originally was to focus on American installation like bases, forts, and everything else that may have been neglected to make people aware of them. But we also do things on uh, battles, people, and things like airplanes, specific airplanes at museums and stuff. So we, so in the course of editing that, I get solicitations from historians and authors who want to write about history, but it has to fit within the confines of a journal. There's a you know limitation in the word count you can put in there. Yeah. And uh, someone had submitted something, and I said, well, it's it's very good, but we have to cut it down in order to make it fit. A lot of times when people write articles, there's a lot of I'm not gonna say fluff in there, but you can condense things until still tell a good story. Of course. It usually, it's, I guess it's the opposite of what most people think. So you've got to put a lot of words in. Now, <laughs> we're trying to condense it to, to make it fit in, but still tell tell a story. So I had I spent a lot of time editing it down to, I think it was about fifteen thousand words, which is still a large. That is a lot of words. Yeah. Yeah. Still, I think they at some point they were like twenty five thousand. Good so, grief! That's like so, 40, 40 pages. Yeah. Over 40 pages. Yeah. And there not many historical journals are going to take that size regardless. No. So I got this down and the author said, no, I think it's something like you've ruined my whole idea. <laughs> and oh, uh, I did a... show it to two other people I work with. who said, no, no, it's pretty concise. But but some people just cannot let go of what they've done. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing you have to do. It's it's a. Uh, what exactly who said it but there's this whole concept of murder your babies you have to allow yourself to not not everything is as precious as you want it to be rather than murder your babies is it not kill your darlings is it the expression kill your is? darlings murder your babies <laughs> ah, <that's all. laughs> semantics i know i know sorry <laughs> often in the states we many times use babies instead of darlings no uh <laughs> Oh, I'm only messing with you. I just thought that was a very funny. Uh, yeah. yeah, as was the custom in the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that that's good. But I find if said article contributor for for that journal, he should just do what I do when he wants to go on large tangents and simply make a podcast episode. <laughs> there you go. It would have been fine. Yeah, because <laughs> people can listen or they can not listen. But at the end of the day, it'll be up to him to justify the space he's taking up on, on the interweb right but yeah you have to be careful with with things like that i mean well i mean even just for the dissertation that i did originally that a matter of honor is based on i remember handing it in on the day having absolutely obliterated it i got rid of a whole chapter i cut down some really good footnotes or what i thought were really good footnotes and i was handing it in and i saw one of my friends and he was handing his in and now granted his was on Irish history, but we had to abide by the same rules. And his was twice the thickness of mine. And I was like to him, Andy was his name. And I was like, Andy, what, what how, how did you do that with the, like the word count? Like, did you not abide by the word count? And he was like, no, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really do that. I kind of just thought it'd be grand if I, if I just did, did good work. And I was like, I just thought that was so unfair because <laughs> I mean, I, I had obliterated like I had gone through with a not even a fine tooth comb, but like a ruthless comb all the way through my dissertation and got rid of some really good stuff. And then he came along with his that was twice the size of mine and handed it in regardless. But uh, I just thought it was a funny example of. of Wait, of, did he of, have to redo his? 
No, he didn't. He he oh. didn't have to redo his. They I outrage. Mean, yeah, I mean, by that stage, it, it was time to hand it in. So if if they told him, oh, it's too big, he would have had to. I, I suppose he would have failed. I mean, because he would have missed the deadline or or however that works. But yeah, that 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 always stuck with me because of the amount of time I spent, and he just kind of. I mean, I'm sure his was very very good, but it was just funny. I mean, I suppose it does depend on the examiner as well how strictly they want to stick to the word count but yeah well i mean i think that the thing is when you're writing you want to be as succinct as you possibly can when telling a story the thing about many good histories and depends on what you're we're doing is when you're writing a book you have the ability to let it flow a little bit easier sure um, and you can you can flesh out parts to tell a story because essentially really history evolves from storytelling that you know, telling tales of of great feats and where people came from, it's developed into where it is. But it's still in its basis, it's telling a story now that has facts, but also should engage the reader. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you always have to worry about, at least from a publishing standpoint, is how many words you actually fit into a a publication. Yeah, because the things you have to think about when you're printing a book is Every page you add to the book costs you more money. Mm. If you print in color, like a lot of my books are, it's even more money. So where you have to balance that thing between the size of the book and the quality of what you're giving someone. But as I've always said to just about anyone I've worked with, you tell the story you want to tell, and we'll see how we can fit it in there. Yeah, and I think it's important as well because, I mean, with the likes of – not to keep on, it seems like this is a promotional podcast for my book, but I mean, this is just the easiest example. And why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Why not? The actual book, that Matter of Honor, I mean, when that came back to me in its finished product, a part of me was like, it's amazing, obviously, my first book, but another part of me wanted it to be like five times thicker, just because I love ginormous books. But obviously, I don't have to pay for the the upkeep of printing a book, that thickness. So, I mean, fair enough, you want to get... And it's and I was still able to expand on all the things I was able to expand, and we included appendixes as well. But for the likes of the Thirty Years' War, I mean that will that will definitely be bigger because it's a bigger story to tell. Right. And it's it's broader and stuff. But yeah, I suppose those rules they kind of go within reason. And like with the the journal contributions, you want them to be able to tell a story that's concise and succinct and gets their point across. But there's just no need to go on on tangents. I mean, you don't have to pay you don't have to pay for for airspace. When you're doing it in a podcast tangent, what I mean, in a sense, you do because of hosting, but it's not like you're writing the words down on on something that you have to print out afterwards. So I completely understand having those restrictions there. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not like you're when you're doing a podcast, it's not like you're paying by the minute mm, yeah. to, to put it up there. Yeah. Although, wouldn't that be an interesting concept? Mm. Uh- Perhaps, perhaps one day, yes. Well, how I'd like to ask, it's very obvious where the name Wingdazar came from. I mean, it's from your your interest in, in, in that era and, and in the Polish people and, and everything else. But say you could do you could do it over. I mean, say you could you could start again. You just say, imagine this, okay? Vin, Vincent Rospond's just come out of college. He's just finished his master's. He He's thinking about doing the, the, the PhD and... And he goes for it. Like, what, what, what do you think you'd do differently? Do you think you would always have gone into publishing? I think eventually I, I would have. Mm. Um, it's it's one of those things. 
as I said, I, I, I look at this as the long game. Everything I've done up till now has basically prepared me to better handle the things I'm doing now. And I still don't. And you're still surprised when you're doing, you know, putting out a book. <laughs> and I, I think that's just generally the way life is sometimes. You're sure. just, you, you have to prepare yourself for what you're doing in a variety of ways. For me, maybe I would have done it sooner. Maybe I wouldn't have done as well now as I, uh, if I had started sooner. I don't know. Maybe I got burnt out. But I love, I love what I do. So that's why I do it. Mm. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's become an obsession. It is an obsession. It is, uh, yeah. But that's because it's mine. Mm. I, I like it. Uh, when it wasn't mine, I was working for other people. It was still something that I cared very deeply about. It's just, it's just fun doing it the way I do it now. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, that it, it's something you're you're very passionate about, and I think that that's obvious. It comes across in in the attention to detail and everything else. But if you were to give, say, say one of our listeners now wanted to not even launch his own publishing or his or her own publishing company, but say they wanted to just get into publishing in whatever uh, respect, what what kind of advice would you give them with that? Well, once again, it depends what you want to do. I started off in the business end of publishing, the nuts and bolts of how the expenses work and everything else, because in addition to my history, I have an MBA in finance. <laughs> so that's how I got into that. And that was a very good idea of, of the base for how any business works. Sure, yeah. Um, if your interest is in writing, then, yeah, learn to, you know, if you really want to try apply for an editorial position to mm. learn how to do it. If you want to write, be a writer, the best thing to do is write, which is sort of simple, simple advice. But if you ask any writer – any successful writer, they'll tell you the same thing. I'm fortunate that I have across 20 plus years of, of working in the industry to count some, some very good writers as friends. And I've come, come across some very good on the, a couple of New York Times bestselling writers. You know, it's, it's about a lot of research and what you're doing. It's about honing your craft and, and learning how to, how to make things work. All the guys who do are successful writers do a lot of research into what they're writing, even if it's fantasy and make-believe. Yeah. Uh, for instance, a lot of fantasy writers will have extensive collections on medieval history and armor and even alchemy and magic just because you have to have a good basis for when you're writing stuff. You can't make up things from whole cloth and expect it to work because there are so many holes that can develop in a plot line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless you're very, very thorough in what you do. But even then, you have to do the research and, and create a, a guide to, to, to put it together. You're, you're well settled in now. I mean, you don't sleep, but that's grand. You're happy yeah. where you are. But as far as going forward is concerned, what kind of vision do you have for Wing to Sar? Like, where, where would you like it to be, say, in five or ten years' time? Uh, well, obviously I'd like it to be much, much bigger than where it is. We're, we're constantly growing. I'm, I'm pretty happy that, I mean, I'd like us to be much bigger than where we are. But slowly building ourselves up, you have, you know, as you're doing this, sometimes you have, you learn from mistakes you make and try to make them better. And that's how I look at it. I would love to be mentioned the same name as like Osprey. Mm, random House. Penguin, yeah, things like that. They're, they're all very good publishers providing very good publications on, on what, what they feel passionate about. 
I have my own little niche. Mine's are a little different. And so I, you know, I think there's a place in the market for it. It's just getting the word out there and expanding it. Hmm. Yeah, it is all about expansion. I mean, that's the same. It's the same with podcasting, the inherent need to make your podcast bigger. And I mean, listeners will know this, especially it's been true with me for the last few months. And I think getting into something like Patreon as well, it makes you not even for the, for the sake of the money, but almost because you see that people will give you money, you see that you can actually get it out there more. And I mean, I think in the first week of getting onto Patreon, I joined Twitter, which is huge. I mean, I spent money on Facebook advertising, which had its ups and downs. I mean, I actually did invest money in getting it across. And it wasn't just for my own interest, but it's like you have a a baby, you have a, a product, and you want to get it out there. And I think it's important that you believe in it as well, which... Obviously, you do, and, and obviously I would do as well because I never shut up about my own thing to my to my friends or peers or anything like that. Actually, that's that's a good question that I didn't ask you the first time around, but that I meant to ask you. How do your oh surprise you... question? I knew it. <laughs> I've got you now. How do your peers or your or your family? I mean, you said your your son works with you, but say otherwise. I mean. I know personally people are like, oh, he can't come out because he's podcasting or, oh, he's busy because he's podcasting, like whatever that is kind of thing. <laughs> so what kind of what kind of experience do you have with that? I think when I first started doing this, it was sort of like, oh, that's nice. He's doing something, you know, keeping busy, blah, blah, yeah. blah. <laughs> Isn't that quaint? I think for the most part, my family, well, not for the most part, my family supports what I do. Uh, they understand a lot of times I just like, I can't, I can't come over right now because I'm in the middle of trying to finish up this book and blah, 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 and I don't have as much time to do it. Mm. And they sort of understand. But at the same time, I, I try to make time to do things that I need to do. I like doing, you know, for holidays. I don't work all day Christmas, you know, that sure. sort of thing. Oh, yes, big time. Yeah, yeah, like, there's a fine line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, between crazy and, and uh, obsessed. I mean, no, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of time it takes to do this. They understand it and they appreciate it. They also understand that how much effort I put into it and how, how passionate I am because this is, this is not a, a new thing for me. I've always been sort of this uh, hyper and little wacko. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, my background in, in all this is war gaming as well. So mm. there's a sort of compulsive uh, magpie existence that I, sure. I have as well. But yeah, so they've, you know, they, they understand that and they, and they support it. So it's, that's the only way you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You can do it, though. Yeah. If people are constantly on you, oh, must you podcast today? <laughs> well, I do. I, incidentally, I do get that from time to time, but yeah. I think that's that's more my fault than theirs. I mean, especially, yeah. I think it's my own fault, really, doing the whole When Diplomacy Fails remastered fifth birthday thing. I mean, in the lead up to getting married is not exactly the, <laughs> the best yep. idea. And, and of course, at the time you're developing it, I don't know if, if you've had this experience, but you think to yourself... I even draw up a cute little plan, which is what I did. And I was like, ah, yeah, plenty of time. Like, this will be grand. And then you say you take two weeks to still kind of think about it. And then you start into it. And then you're like, hold on a minute. I don't really actually have that much time to do this. I'm going to have to do this nearly every day. And then you get a bit stressed out. It all works out in the end. But my other half, Anna, is constantly is constantly at me for not taking on projects that are too big. But there's something about a large product project that just... I don't know, it draws me in or something. I think it's because I, I know that I'll get it done in the end and I look forward to that feeling of being like, ah. And then I think I remember, what was it I finished? I finished the 1916 Rising and that was, it was very personal and it was very involved and it was quite stressful and took a lot of work. And when I got to the end of it, I was satisfied, I think, for about six hours. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I can't believe it's done. And then instantly thinking, Okay, so Louis the Fourteenth. When are we going to start that? What's that going to like? Do, do you can you relate to that with with I don't know what, what that's called. I suppose a workaholic would be a good term in a way. Yeah, I mean, if you really are in, into what you're doing and trying to make the best you can, the minute you finish, you you twelve automatically think of twelve things you should have done. Oh, I should have put this in there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I need to. That that's it. And also, uh, any plan you have goes back to the old axiom that no plan survives contact with the enemy. Yeah. Um, and in many cases, the enemy is us. Anything you think you've given yourself enough time, you don't just because life is going to intervene. And if you're, if you're doing multiple projects, especially like I tend to do, it's, mm. you're always running out of time. Yeah. I think it's fair to say life gets in the way of, I mean, in my case, podcasting, in your case, Wing to Sar and you have this dream where, which is why I loved Patreon is you have this dream where you can one day, do it full time and invest the time and, and justify the time as well. Because it's one thing to say, oh, I have 2 million or 3 million downloads or whatever. But it's quite another to say, well, like, I can't buy bread with downloads. So what do I do yeah. now? <laughs> yeah. So that's what I think the dream going forward, really, for me, it, it, I, I know myself for me is to to make a living out of this now where Cambridge and, and my academic future and everything fits into that. I'm not entirely sure, but I mean, I made it this far and <laughs> still alive. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, it's like I, I've said, you, you, you can't think of always think of think in terms of the immediate. You have to think of, all right, we're working on this now. We'll get some, you know, as long as that's the goal you want to do, that'll be there for you. You just have to find a way to, to do it. You just can't, you can't lose sight of that goal. Of and course. maybe you get around to it later, or maybe you get around to it in, in other ways, like writing lots of books and becoming an expert on this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe someday, yeah. You know, there there are a lot of authors who become famous for what they do without actually having all the academic credentials. Because they, they do the research to, to make them experts in what in those areas. Yeah. Uh, 
John Keegan. I'm not sure if John Keegan actually had a degree, but he, you know, he became one of the big military historians yeah. of the era. I just think it's it, it's one of those things you just have to keep working at. Yeah, yeah. And I think that as well, because it's interesting you brought that up. I mean, I know there isn't, I mean, I suppose there is like a, uh, an, an I want to set up a publishing company kind of college. I mean, you, you, it is trial and error. But I remember because I started this when I was in first year in college. And of course, you think you know everything then, like listening to, and this ties in well with why I wanted to remaster everything from episodes one to 19, because looking back on it, I mean, there was a good bit of, there was a good bit of, I mean, it was trial and error, but you know, I remember reading one review and the person was like, oh, one day uh, Professor Twomley can give me his opinion, but until now, like, understand you're still a student. And I was like, oh, screw you kind of thing. But it's it's true that I think to to a degree you do need, well, a degree, but at, at the same time, I don't know, you see, because I want people to, I think one of the best things I did was start a podcast because it helped me learn how to research and it helped me do well in college in a big way so in a way i want to tell people oh yeah start a podcast if you're interested in history but then at the same time i don't want them to spread historical falsehoods so i mean how do you think people would overcome that you know one of the things about getting your degree and doing advanced studies is you're allowed to do research into something you you're interested in and then get feedback from uh, accredited people. You do get peer review from the standpoint of you'll get feedback from people who say, you suck, man, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> or, you know, it's very interesting. And, and some of those opinions are informed. Some of those are not informed. It at least gives you the experience of dealing with it. And I think that's important from, from that standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anything you do as far as writing or putting yourself out there in the public eye you, you put yourself open to criticism, some of it good, some of it bad. You just have to learn to accept it and, and learn from it. Not all criticism that's bad is bad. I yeah. Mean, you know, there, there are reasons why, you know, if you've got something wrong, people point it out. It's like, my bad. As long as you're not purposely going out and, and, and spreading falsehoods, mistakes can be corrected. Of course. Uh, so you just have to learn to do with that. Uh, <laughs> we, we do books in small batches. Cuts down in costs, uh, but allows me also to print for specific needs and make them available to people around the world easier because I, I try to print locally. But uh, occasionally, if, if someone finds something wrong, I try to fix it, and then we upload it to the master files. To We put those out there. And, you know, there's any time you put something out, either written or, or spoken, as much as you try, and we all try to make it as error-free as possible, there's going to be errors. Uh, that's not necessarily an acceptable answer, but yeah. it happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, sure it does. Yeah, I, this is about the seventh or eighth kind of casual kind of talk episode, and it's funny when you're trying to present it to different people. Some people are like, "Oh no, that's like my idea of a nightmare," even though they'd be they'd be quite good at it without even realizing, and then kind of have to reassure them look it's it's grand i haven't i can edit it afterwards i'm not going to just send out the raw file and everyone will judge you kind of thing it's interesting some people are like yeah let's do it other people are kind of like oh no i'm so afraid of that i suppose it's it's kind of like public speaking in a way well you know it's it's funny you say that because even when i was in grad school i hate hated capital h's all around public speaking I mean, sure. it just made me nervous when i started with Games Workshop, the first thing I had to do was give a presentation to 300 people. Oof. But it was essential that I did it because it was yeah. a, a presentation that 
sales conference presentation. And then from there in, I just, I'm not afraid of it. I embrace it. I actually enjoy it. But you have to get in the mindset that you're just, you're just not going to let that defeat you and find ways to overcome it. When I was a, when I was in grade school, they, they used to actually make people stand up and recite things. Wow. That's <laughs> uh, how long ago I was, but we were right. It was right after they invented writing. So you, you'd occasionally have to stand up and recite like the Gettysburg Address or something, some short, that not Gettysburg isn't that short, but a, a short passage from there. I speak, see, yeah. For public speaking, used to bug, I used to bug the heck out of me. But I think really it's the best thing you can teach kids at every level because no matter where you are in business or, or life, you have to learn how to do that. Except of that course. when I started doing it more full-time, I tried to find ways I could make myself better. I found one of the best things to do, which covered two two things, is Listen to stand-up comedians because uh, uh, they have a timing and how they present the joke. Yeah, good point. And a rhythm, plus it's entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> good stand-up comedy is very difficult to do, but you can learn from it if you listen. And then if you have to do it, and not necessarily stand-up and do stand-up comedy, but stand-up and talk, that's that's a good way to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very true. I think it like because for me – still not fully knowing where I'm going to go in the future. But if I was to go into academia, obviously a big part of that's giving lectures. And the first thing I always think about is like the lecture halls in, in UCD University College Dublin, where there's like 500 people in the lecture hall for for the first, I remember the first year in, in history. I mean, everything is so broad and no one really knows why they're there or what they're doing. And it's just like, oh, the Second World War. And it's like, crammed full of people not really paying attention and on their phones and all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, how would I deal with a situation like this? One of my listeners, John Hogan, who's a lecturer in the Dublin Institute of Technology, uh, he got in contact with me years ago and asked me to do a guest lecture in DIT and, and I did it on, on the lead up to the First World War. Now, at the time, I thought I knew everything about the First World War. That was actually before I did the July Crisis uh, project so it was pretty much all factually incorrect but other than that that obviously the big deal was public speaking and even though it was only a lecture of about 20 people to me it was like the biggest thing in the world because i mean i'd never done it before but afterwards and obviously the build-up to it's the worst because you convince yourself of all the things that could go wrong but then when you do it you're like it's not actually that bad and so long as you know what you're going to say, even if you mess up, what, what's the worst that could happen? Like, you get embarrassed. I mean, odds are you're going to get embarrassed in your life at some point anyway, so you might as well go out with a bang. Yeah, I mean, for the most part in, in this age, if you're giving a speech, no one's going to kill you afterwards. Yeah. Uh, if, if they don't like, you know, if, if you mess up there or you, you feel you're stumbling, whatever. And I think also... In those in those type situations, they want you to succeed in what you're doing. Sure. So most people will give you a little bit more leeway, and, and I, I think you just have to approach it like that. You, you can't be afraid of it. Obviously, it's it, but some of it is just practice and, and feeling comfortable with it. That this comes with time. However, I, I will say I have seen some people who just like they just melt into the position like nobody's business. Mm, mm. Oh, yeah. Well, some people are definitely naturals when it comes to doing that. Yeah, I would think, though, that, I mean, just uh, your experience in podcasting would be just perfect for it. Yeah, well, you know, to be honest, things like this, 
like with with solo episodes because you're reading from a script and you're by yourself there isn't so much pressure like i'm very kind of easygoing myself but then at times like at the times when with the first few episodes i recorded you can hear the nerves in my voice like speaking into the microphone even though i'm by myself like i don't know why i was nervous and i remember i had the first the very first talk episode i had with my friend sean on the very first episode we did he was really nervous because he didn't realize that it could be edited afterwards and of course i didn't think to tell him and he was so annoyed at me afterwards because like oh i got it all no i got it all like like anxious for no reason kind of thing it, it, i suppose it is you just you learn as you go along it's the kind of thing that you get used to but with podcasting the longer I've done it for, to cut a long story short, the kind of more comfortable I've gotten with my voice, in my own skin, being able to talk and like formulate sentences, and especially things like these where you don't have a script in front of you, you're kind of going wherever the conversation takes you, with, is not, which is not the right thing to do in a, like an academic lecture, but it's a similar kind of thing. You have to be able to think on your feet. What if someone asks you a, an unexpected question or something like that? You need to be able to go with the flow. Yeah, no, I mean, and, that, and that's fair enough. You do a good job, but the, you know, you don't have to make eye contact with me, which is a good thing because mm. I have a very piercing stare. But, um, <laughs> but at least it does get you used to saying, "Okay, I can talk in an easy voice," as if you were just having a conversation with someone. Yeah. But then yeah. There, there are people who just can't have conversations and make eye contact with people well, too. That's true. Yeah, I often think about this is somewhat unrelated, but when I started out podcasting. And this is how I, I get one of my favorite stories that Churchill, Winston Churchill used to say was that because he had taught himself a lot of things, for example, he taught himself French or he taught himself how to pronounce things or, or like research things or, or what have you. He knew the information, but when it came to actually disseminating it, he'd pronounce words wrong or he'd say things wrong or something. And because of that, then he got... For a while, he was so, somewhat timid in, in how he would communicate, and he'd wait until maybe other people said the things that he wanted to say in case he said it wrong and people like laughed at him kind of thing. Uh, that, that didn't necessarily happen to me, but well, still to an extent now, whenever I had to pronounce anything that isn't in English, and even with English, I sometimes struggle. Like, I just thought that that was the right way to say it. I saw those words written down, thought they looked smart, and was like, I, I should include these in the podcast. So I did, and then people were like, actually, that doesn't really sound right, but can't hold yourself back with that. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I just think that <laughs> it's, no, important. No, no. it's important yeah. to, to know that like, it's not the end of the world if you make a mistake. Uh, I'm terrible for, as, as you say, as I said earlier, just malprops sometimes creep in. But uh, I think I know how to pronounce a word and I look at it and go, and, and then, but that's just, that's just learning. Mm-hmm. That's just learning at all it is. I think we're coming to the end of the episode now. Is there anything you'd like to add or is there anything you'd like to say if, like a, a parting message for the listeners, perhaps? You know, I just, besides go out and buy your book, uh, <laughs> yeah, it helps you and me at, at this sure. point. But no, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I think you need to open yourself up to a lot to things beyond your comfort level. And don't be afraid to research. Don't be afraid to try things. Don't give up so easily on, on if you have an idea, you want to do something, you have to, you have to keep working at it. I mean, let's face it, I, I'm over 50. Uh, and I didn't really get in, start this on my own till I was over 50. But you work towards that goal. That's yeah. that's how you do stuff. That's how you succeed. Sure. Just keep working. Yeah, 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 big time. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast, Vince. And I'm sure this isn't the last 
our listeners will will hear from you. So I'm sure they can look forward to that. And perhaps talking about something niche in Polish partitions or some such in the future. Absolutely. I'm, I'm always open. I'm, well, I love talking to you anyway. We have fun. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm happy to uh, happy to talk anytime you want. Okay. Thanks, man. Cheers. Yep. And there you go. Did you enjoy it? I think it's nice. I think it ended on a nice positive note. And I think you guys will agree it was a pretty good interview overall. And I hope you guys will check out Vincent Rospond's publishing company. Go to wingdesirepublishing.com, tell him I sent you, and find him on all good social media outlets and everywhere else. He's a great guy, he's a friend of the podcast, and it's because of him, it's all his fault that I have a book and that I will have two more books in time. He's done us a great service, he's doing history a great service too. So go and check him out. Give him what for, as they say, or as they might have said at some point in history. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest of When Diplomacy Fails Remastered, because we're still running wild. This is just a foretaste of what's to come, but it's little things like these that kind of make this whole remastered, five weeks to run wild project just all the more special. I mean, I could have just banged out those 49 remastered episodes and left it at that, but oh no. No, no. I want to distinguish it. I wanted to make it special. And thanks to Vincent Rospond for making it so special. Thanks again to him for joining us for our fifth birthday. And thanks again to you for joining us for this interview. Make sure to tell your friends about it. Tell people about it. Tell them all that I somehow got my publisher on the podcast. It's great. It's really, really good. And I hope you will join us for the rest of When Diplomacy Fails Remastered. Alrighty, guys. It's been a long day and I'm sure you're tired. I'm tired. Maybe you're not tired, maybe you're going to listen to more episodes, but either way, I'm going to take my leave. So yeah, thanks for listening, and you know what? I'll see you all pretty darn soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 